Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you so very much, Ron, for all of those announcements. It's exciting that we have things happening, and I will be at the Community Games Night, and I hope that many of you will as well. I noticed that some of our community leagues have already posted on their Facebook pages about this event, and so we look forward to welcoming people from the community for something really fun. Before our message begins, I just want to start off with just a very quick and short game. And this is a game that even those online can participate in. It's really super easy. Basically, how this game goes is I'm going to start a sentence, and then you're going to complete it. So I'm going to say the first few words, and then you finish it. So online, you just type in the last few words. And here in person, this is your chance. You can just shout it out. And it's not difficult. You're going to know what to say. I'm sure of it. All right? So ready? I start. You complete it. Here goes. Spare the rod. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, before you get really excited, and start kind of celebrating it up because you're thinking, all right, that's another verse in the Bible that I can click off as memorized. I want to tell you, spare the rod, spoil the child does not actually appear in the Bible. Those six words are not in the Bible. What Proverbs 13:24 actually says is, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, this verse has been misquoted so many times that even the Chicago Tribune has run an article that says, spare the rod, spoil the child is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. So where do these words come from? Well, it's actually a phrase in a poem written in 1664 by Samuel Butler. And Samuel's poem is about a whole bunch of kind of adult-themed topics, and parenting techniques is not one of them. But somebody somewhere liked those six words, spare the rod, spoil the child, and it's now become this modern-day proverb that basically means if you don't discipline your child when they do something wrong, then you're going to raise spoiled brats. So. Before I go any further, I just want you to know that I am not standing up here this morning giving you this kind of message about parenting techniques. I'm not here to appeal to you to please spank your kids. I'm also not here to advocate you shouldn't spank your kids. The subtitle of this sermon is not to spank or not to spank. This verse isn't about spanking kids. It's about discipline. And the verse is valuable because discipline is valuable for everyone. Sorry. I'm up here with big shoes to fill, Pastor Marks, and I also have to fill his mic too. So my ears, my face maybe just isn't the same. So <laughs> bear with me <laughs> as I try to make sure that you can hear me. Throw through studying this verse, although so many times it's been misquoted and misapplied and misused, we learn about the direct link between discipline and love. And what's really exciting about this link is that discipline enhances our relationships. Discipline not only with our children, but also with one another. Discipline of ourselves. Discipline of how God uses it in order to connect with us as well. 
This verse is so often taken out of context. It's so often used by these overzealous disciplinarians. It's so often used by radical people who just have this kind of mandate about legalism or abuse. This verse is also used by parents who are innocently seeking the Bible in an effort to raise godly children. And sometimes they actually believe that this is a biblical mandate saying you must spank your kids. And they want to raise godly children, and so they go to this verse. But if this verse isn't about compliance, a prescription for how children should behave, then what is this verse actually about? So we look and land on that word discipline. This verse is clearly about the link between discipline and love. Discipline will help us in so many ways. It helps us with financial stewardship. It helps us with peer pressure. It helps us with patience. It helps us in our philosophy of life. So we all know that the inability to handle money and conflict in finances is probably one of the leading causes of divorce in our society. And if you're disciplined in the handling of money, then money is not going to handle you. The verse does talk about children. So children are a part of this, but one of the reasons why is because in the Bible it recognizes that we learn best when we are young. So another one of those modern day proverbs is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm not saying that you can or can't, but I do believe that a younger dog probably learns easier than an older dog with these new tricks. So I have a friend, he's just a few years older than me, and he is an amazing Ukrainian dancer. And I am just in awe with him when he jumps up and then he gets so low to the ground, and then when he's low to the ground, he can just spring out his legs and then bounce back up again, and it's amazing. And the reason why he can do this so well is because his body has been programmed to know what to do. It's because he learned it when he was just a tiny boy. So if you, the same age as him, were like, I'm going to learn how to dance like that, you would have a very difficult time. Children who are not disciplined, they often grow up rebellious. They have no respect for authority. And as a result, they find it difficult to willingly obey and follow God. God himself will use discipline, and he uses it to correct us. He uses it to lead us down just the right path, and he uses it to encourage repentance for our wrongdoings. Now, discipline does promote patience, and it produces it. Discipline, it helps us stick with a goal. It helps us from getting discouraged. It helps us from dropping out. And discipline, where patience is concerned, is so important for things like when we're picking a path for education purposes. It's absolutely mandatory for a marriage, and it is wonderfully special and helpful when we're rearing our children. In faith, it gives us the ability 
to wait on the Lord as he answers prayers and needs in his own perfect timing. That's what discipline, as far as patience, will give us. And to protect us from peer pressure. Peer pressure can slowly take over our decision-making process. And before you know it, we are starting to make decisions that make little or no sense. Except that we can say, well, everyone's doing it. But without discipline, peer pressure can disrupt our moral code. And then we start making some poor choices in our dating relationships. And without discipline, it can sabotage our saving efforts when it comes to keeping up with the Joneses. Discipline absolutely urges us to commit sacrificially to someone or something. So there's this businessman, and he was getting really serious about his spiritual growth, or at least that's what he said. So he inquired with someone who was leading a Bible study, and he thought, ah, I want to be part of this Bible study. And the leader was pumped up, all right, we're going to have this businessman as part of our Bible study. Here, let me give you the details. Well, first of all, we meet on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m., and this excited businessman got a little less excited. 7 a.m., you say, hmm? And then the leader said, and act that you would be able to attend all of our 10 lessons. And now if his enthusiasm hadn't already depleted, it was kind of null and void. It disappeared entirely. He said, I don't know if I can commit to get up early for 10 straight Tuesdays. Well, if you lack the personal discipline to keep commitments, you can also lack the ability to really experience God's plan for your life. And, and that's serious. Without the ability to be personally disciplined, you lack the ability to stay pure. You lack the ability to study God's will, and you also lack the ability to dig in and do God's work. Our nature is to respond to our own impulses, to our own urges, but discipline teaches us that we're not slaves to our own bodies or our desires. Now, Joseph in the Bible, he was this wonderful example of a disciplined person. He could stand up for the things that were right before God. Due to Potiphar's wife's shenanigans, he did suffer for a while, but he reaped the benefits of placing his life in God's hands. He went from being a slave in prison to being a prime minister of Egypt. Mind me one more time here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Discipline preserves our Christ-centered philosophy of life and our spiritual commitment. Discipline directs us to use the Bible as a resource manual for life, and it helps us to respond to the direction of God's leading, even when we don't understand. There's a pastor in Calgary. He has been leading a congregation for 20 years, and he's in his early 60s, and he's just announced the birth of his third grandchild. Super excited about that. And he's kind of thinking, you know, maybe a couple more years and he'll retire at his church. But then God's direction was different for him. He had a different calling for him. 
God's direction is one that this pastor doesn't understand because now this pastor is being called to serve 70 different churches in Ontario. This is provinces away from the grandkids, but this pastor knows that it's not always important that we understand. But what it is important is that we always trust. Because God's discipline is linked to love, we can trust him always. And as we trust in Christ, we develop this inner discipline that guides us when no one else is around. Discipline helps us to internalize a consistent way of responding to the temptations of life. The Lord uses discipline to reveal our sins to us. Discipline really sounds like a good thing, especially since it's a way for us to love ourselves, to love others, a way that God loves us, a way that we love God. So what exactly is discipline? Discipline is the training or correction necessary for a person to reach full potential. So I have to say right here that there is definitely a difference between abuse and discipline. Abuse does not allow a person to reach their full potential, but discipline does. So for instance, we can abuse our bodies when it comes to eating with disorders like anorexia or bulimia, and these disorders do not allow our bodies to reach their full potential, whereas eating in a healthy way, discipline, does. Abuse is unfair. Abuse is unexpected. It's degrading. It's demoralizing. It's extreme and harsh and brutal. It's damaging and it's destructive. Whereas discipline is fair. Discipline is expected. Discipline upholds dignity. Discipline is balanced. It's within limits. It's painful, but it generally doesn't leave scars. It's strengthening and it's prompted in love and concern. There is a direct link between love and discipline. Discipline is so much more than a reaction to a negative behavior. Discipline is not about punishment as much as it's about discipleship. Discipline in the scriptures talks about learning and instruction. Physical discipline, that will help us recognize that wrong brings pain. So a few years back, I decided that I was going to participate in Mud Hero. And I looked up the course online like, and plotted what my training was going to look like. And as I looked at the course, I saw, what? There's an event where we have to go on the monkey bars? I haven't been on monkey bars for years. So as part of my training, I sought out some parks close by, and I'd try to go when other people weren't there, because I just thought it would look really weird <laughs> to have this mom just hanging out all by herself going on the monkey bars. And so I was going to train for the monkey bars. I also thought I'd better train for the running, because at this particular mud hero place, it was on a ski hill. So the majority of the running was straight up a hill. And I was so glad that I did do the training because then I wasn't going to struggle. Now, there were other people who didn't 
train at all. And for some people, that's okay because maybe they're just healthier than I am. But for many people, not training, not being disciplined was wrong because it produced pain for them. It produced injury for them. For many of the people, it just kind of made for a bad day because they couldn't do the things that they had wanted to do in this Mud Hero event. No discipline feels good while it is happening, but afterwards, the rewards are rich. That comes from Hebrews 12, 11. The fruit of the Spirit are rewards of God's discipline. And reaching our full potential is so rewarding. God disciplines us so that we can reach our full potential. And that is an extremely loving thing for God to do for us. Sometimes as we instruct and correct our children, it can present struggles for them, and it can also present struggles for you. I mean, let's be honest. But there comes a time when all that labor, all that effort, all that discipline doesn't cripple them. It actually sets them off to fly. That's the result of it. Discipline can look very different for different people. I just love how God is so creative and he's made each of us very unique. And so because we're all so unique, the measure and the mode of discipline depends on temperament, character, and circumstances. My brother and I are very close in age, we're close in relationship, we grew up together. But, of course, we each have our own unique dispositions, and we respond differently within similar environments. So one summer, my brother and I were out visiting my grandparents in BC, and my grandparents loved us, and they showed us that love by establishing boundaries so that we would remain safe. So. Some of these boundaries included this sidewalk that we weren't supposed to go past, and there was this really fun tree fort that we liked to go to, but we were only supposed to go within like a certain window of time because later on in the day, the big kids came, and they weren't always nice to us, littler kids. And then there was also this ladder, this ladder that was propped up against my grandparents' place, and it went all the way up to the roof of my grandparents' house. And we knew that under no circumstances should we climb this ladder. We knew all the rules, and for the most part, we accepted them. For the most part, we followed them. Now, one day, though, my, my brother, he decided he was going to climb up the ladder. And before my grandpa could get to him, my brother was already at the top of the house on the roof. And my grandpa was in kind of stealth mode, or not really stealth mode, but rescue mode, I guess. It to get up there, get my brother down. He wanted to save him. It was also his mission to ensure that my brother would never do this again. And so my grandpa did spank my brother. And my brother did cry. And I cried harder. And I was not the one who got spanked. And I was not the one who was even in trouble. But I was a very sensitive sort. <laughs> My parents would say that when it came to discipline for me, they could usually just kind of give me a stern look and enough to do. 
Mark and I were actually talking about this week about how there's all these different love languages and based on our love languages, you know, there's different forms of discipline that probably work better for others. And so we were just sharing stories of our families of origin and one of the things that he said was, he said, you know, if I was to be sent to my room, it was not a punishment. He's like, he loved to get sent to his room. But for another child, that bedroom banishment would be like the worst thing ever. It would be like a prison sentence and a terrible, terrible punishment for something. Well, you must understand that a child is an individual and there's a special designed discipline that fits each need and each character. So for example, some people say that children with ADHD, spanking does not work. They say it actually just ramps up uh, some wildness and unmanageability with them. And so you, it's really wise to find an alternate way to discipline your child in that circumstance. Also, children who have a history of abuse, it can be even the most loving discipline, but hurts from the past seep in, and they don't recognize it as a loving discipline at all. It just brings back fear and, and problems and concern and pain. And then there's extremely sensitive children that require an entirely different approach as well. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in go, and in means in keeping with the way the child is bent. So Proverbs 13, 24 does not explicitly demand, and it doesn't forbid the spanking of children. This verse and others in the Bible are actually more concerned with the goal of building godly character than in the precise method used to produce that character. So some children, they'll respond well when you give them a sideways look. For some, it's a reminder that will motivate them. And for some, well, a threat works quite nicely. When our gracious Heavenly Father disciplines us, he makes allowances for the fact that perhaps we have repented, that perhaps we have confessed, and we should too. So when God disciplines me, knowing that sensitive, gentle nature that I have, he is absolutely gentle with me as well. He knows that I respond best to gentleness, and God knows how to employ the method that best produces the needed behavioral change. So if it's not about spanking, then a valid question might be, why does it talk about the rod then? Well, the first thing that we should note is that in this verse it says the rod and not a rod. So there is actually a difference between a rod, which is a physical instrument, and the rod, which is a metaphorical use. So for instance, if you look in the Bible and you go to the book of Exodus where it's talking about a rod, it says, if a man beats his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies as a direct result, he must be punished. Whereas Proverbs, on the other hand, is a poetical book. And in poetical books, the writers will use familiar words for their audience to get across the concept of an idea. So what that means is the rod is metaphorical to represent a concept 
that it can then kind of create an image using a word. So that brings us to ask, what image is being written about here? So it's true that the word rod is often regarded as an implement, like a principal strap or a spanking spoon to punish naughty children, or sometimes it can be like, like a stick or a cane that beats insubordinate prisoners or slaves. But keeping with the historical context of the book of Proverbs, this isn't the rod that they're referring to. This misinterpretation is understandable, but it does reflect a wrong application of the principles of biblical interpretation. Because when you closely examine the Hebrew word for rod, it's shevet. And we see that the word shevet is most frequently used when referring to a shepherd who's tending their flocks. So the shepherd will use this shevet to steer the sheep, to keep them safe from predators, to gently guide those that are kind of wandering away from the flock, to bring them back in. The shepherd doesn't use their stick to just beat and harm their own sheep. No, in the same way, our loving God is our good shepherd who uses the rod to steer us from danger, to steer us towards, metaphorically, greener pastures. So it's evident that the rod in this passage refers to the use of wise discipline in order to teach important lessons in life. Sometimes those lessons are best learnt when we experience something unpleasant. So just like a rod is a multi-purpose tool for a shepherd, this the rod is also a multi-purpose tool. And so the purposes of it include a tool for comforting. David says that the Lord's rod comforts him. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with Psalm 23, where David is experiencing this time of trouble. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's the good shepherd's rod that comforts him in his dark times. And then the rod is also a tool for steering the rod gives guidance when we wander off. The rod pilots us along the best path. It steers the heart of a child towards Jesus. It steers us towards the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers. And the rod of discipline will drive indiscretion and recklessness and also unsound judgment far from us just as Proverbs 22:15 states. And then there's the rod, which is a tool for rescuing, the rod that rescues us from difficulties, the rod that saves us from death, the rod that saves us from eternal punishment. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But let's move to the rod, which is a tool for correction. Correction shows us that we are not above reproach and that we are accountable for our actions. And there are many ways that we can be corrected. There's through communication we can be corrected, through teaching, through instructing, through extinction we can be corrected. You know, if you just get ignored when you're bullying somebody or when you're writing kind of crazy text to somebody or posting irritating comments on social media, if you just don't get the rise from people, then maybe you stop doing it. 
Reinforcement is also a type of correction. So think of it as if you're a boss and you compliment your employees and you just encourage them and appreciate them for their positive behavior, well, they're likely to respond in that way again. Then there's logical consequences, and here's kind of the category where spanking fits in. It's when a child feels the consequences of his or her sin and learns that sin requires punishment. And then there's natural consequences. That's when we just kind of let nature take its course. So if I stop eating healthy and I stop exercising, then I might get sick. And then I get sick and I have to decide, okay, the natural consequence is now I'm sick, so if I don't want to be sick, then maybe I have to improve my eating habits. Maybe I have to start exercising again. Discipline is used to correct and train people to go in the right way. God himself uses discipline to correct us and to lead us down the right path. Discipline is directly linked to love. And a lack of discipline will illustrate a lack of love. It's the opposite of love. So in the verse when it talks about hates their children, we might think hate, that is such a harsh word. And it's true, but you really have to think about what's at stake. If we refuse to discipline ourselves, if we refuse to discipline our children, if God refused to discipline us, then how would we all turn out? It's cruel, actually cruel, to let your child grow up without the correction needed for proper development. When you just wink at disobedient behavior, well, that just sets somebody up for disaster. That just causes them to adopt a whole bunch of horrible habits. Now, usually, a lack of discipline is due to selfishness. You know, a parent can be afraid of being disliked by their child. Or sometimes you're just selfish because you don't like being uncomfortable. So let's talk about booster shots. I was visiting with my niece the other day, and it was coming the time when she was going to have to give her little daughter another booster shot. Well, she wouldn't give the booster shot, but take her to get her booster shot. And she was talking about how uncomfortable it is for her and how uncomfortable it is for the child. And yes, that's true. It's an unpleasant duty, and sometimes it's just easier to just kind of put it off. But no, that might be what's best for her needs, but that's not what's best for the needs of her daughter. The booster shot is for the sake of her child's health. And parents can get caught up in this, but I want to be liked by my kids mentality. And they can be tempted to not want to do anything that the child doesn't like or that they might experience some pushback from the children from. But as parents, we are responsible for their growth. We're also responsible to make sure that they get what they need. We're not responsible to make sure that they get what they want, right? We must be more concerned for a child's proper long-term development than for immediate ease and convenience. So how about negligence? Is negligence selfishness? Is that hatred? Was Eli negligent in disciplining his sons? If you read in 1 Samuel, it says that he honored his sons more than he honored God. 
You know, his sons were receiving these offerings, which were meat, yummy meat at that, and they would eat everything that they wanted, and then the leftover meat would go to God. And this was not the right thing to do. And by the time that Eli actually said something to rebuke and discipline his sons, it was probably too little, too late. His sons ended up dying due to their transgressions. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Eli's sons should have been corrected in the early years of their lives while there was still hope for them to go in the right way. To neglect such needed training contributed to their rebellion and it contributed to their foolishness. And whether it was a matter of Eli wanting to be liked by his sons or maybe it was just more comfortable for him to not bother with disciplining them, well, he and his sons did suffer for it. You need to deal with wrong as it occurs, and you need to deal with it adequately until the lesson is learned that wrong won't be permitted. Discipline is not hate. The lack of discipline is. Discipline is linked to love. So we get to the part of the verse where it says, the one who loves their children is careful. To love a child is to care for the child's whole well-being. Love demonstrates a hearty concern for welfare and future good. Discipline as linked to love, it doesn't give way to fond passions like Eli's sons had towards this yummy meat, the offering meat. Discipline as linked to love catches a problem before it becomes a habit and before we get so accustomed to sin or so hardened by sin. Careful discipline is diligent. It's consistent and it's reasonable. It's the mark of genuine love. Careful discipline means diligence. So if you want to improve your golf game, then you need to be diligent about getting to the golf course or getting to the driving range. Laziness and lack of diligence isn't going to produce the desired results for you. Careful discipline must also be consistent. A parent has to be watchful and have the patience to do what needs to be done so that children are not confused. Careful discipline means that it's reasonable. It's for the right reasons. So the Bible does give very strong warnings for adults that they would not abuse power or authority that they have over children. It's not careful discipline if it's used to justify abuse or mistreatment of children. It's not careful discipline if it's used to vent anger or frustration. When the Lord disciplines us, he's not trying to impress us with his power. He's not trying to abuse us with his authority. His correction is a result of his love. Hebrews 12.6 demonstrates this. It says, The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. God is in the business of perfecting us into righteousness. And his discipline is this demonstration of his deep, deep love for us. 
Proverbs 3.12 says that he does it because he delights in us. His discipline is directly linked to love as it brings growth and it builds Christ-like character. It's a part of this loving, responsible relationship that he has with us. And God uses discipline in our lives to help us grow in our faith. Sometimes that discipline can be very refreshing and sometimes it can be quite tear-jerking and sometimes in our limited understanding it can even seem very cruel. Philip Yancey tells about an African safari that he went on. And he said that what he was watching was this mama giraffe who just gave birth. And a little bit later, there's the offspring, this boy, this little giraffe. And she goes up to her offspring and she just gives it a big kick. And Philip was kind of surprised at this. It looked like she really hurt her baby, actually. And so what does the mother giraffe do? The mother giraffe kind of steps back and she winds up and she just boots her baby again. And each time this little giraffe would kind of get up and he'd be on his wobbly little legs and he would try to walk and she'd just continually be kicking him. And finally, after one of these kicks, I guess he learned his lesson because he got up very rapidly and he just ran away from her kicks. And Philip, he turned to his guide and he's like, why does the mom do that? What's up with that mother giraffe? And the guide answered, well, the only defense that a giraffe has is its ability to get up quickly and outrun its predator. If it can't do that, it's going to die. So what looked like a cruel thing to Philip, what sounds like a cruel thing to us, was really the most loving thing that the mother could do for her offspring. So perhaps you have received some discipline that's felt quite cruel. Perhaps you're currently undergoing something that just is so painful. It looks so cruel, but it's exactly what is needed to have a strong relationship with Jesus, the one who saves us. In order to be molded and shaped in a way that will reflect the nature of God to others. In order to experience the Lord's greater glory and eternal benefits. In order for desires that destroy us to be controlled in order to get along in life and experience the bliss of cooperation and connection with our brothers and sisters and our Heavenly Father, in order to experience new life in Jesus by living out his grace and his truth and his love. We need discipline, and discipline is a mark of love. It's directly linked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God, a God who cares deeply for each of your children. Oh Lord, we thank you that you use the choices that we make, both good choices and bad, to discipline us. 
Lord, we pray that you would develop our faith in you, that you would increase our patient endurance. Lord, we thank you that godly discipline in the lives of your children is a tool that you use for your greater glory and for our eternal benefit. Lord, we just pray and ask that you would help us embrace the rod of correction that you wish to use in our lives. Lord, we trust that even when situations are tearful or when they seem cruel, that there is value in the lessons and life circumstances that you have for us. We'll trust you, God, to carefully discipline us. We know, God, that you will do that diligently and consistently and reasonably, and that you use genuine love that you've showered us with, including, God, the love of sacrificing your one and only Son on the cross to save us from our iniquities, to give us life everlasting. In your holy name, Lord. Amen. We're going to prepare for communion now. And uh, if you're at home, then definitely take a moment to make sure that you have some elements, maybe some bread and some juice so that you can join with us. I talked about that rod and one of the uses and that it was for rescuing us. And during communion, we acknowledge how through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus, we have been rescued from death. And we have also contemplated the seriousness of what our lack of discipline meant for Jesus on the cross. We celebrate the provision of a way to salvation and the freedom of being forgiven. We take the time to make things right with God. We recognize that the wrath that should have been reserved for us was poured out on Christ. It cost our Lord so much to put us on the path. And with all of that love that he has for us, he's intent on keeping us on that path. So as we take the time to prepare ourselves, to, to humbly pray, to repent of anything that we might need to let go of, as we think about the love that God has shown us through discipline, and how he disciplines us because he's not negligent. He has not left us to our own devices. We rejoice that he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. So for every one of you that has accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome and invited to participate in communion where we're going to eat bread together in honor of the body that he ministered to us with and that was sacrificed on our behalf. And we'll drink together in honor of the blood that was poured out to cover the costs of our sins. If you have yet to make that decision to accept what he did for you, because you could not do it for yourself, if you have yet to accept that he has victory over death, if you have yet to accept the free gift of salvation, then you can do that now. I'm going to give a, a short little prayer that would do that. So if you're at home or if you're here today and you would like to accept that gift of salvation, then pray this along with me. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins. Lord, what you did on the cross is sufficient. And I accept and believe that you did that for me. Thank you for covering for all of I believe that you gave your life for me and I choose to give my life to you from this day forward. Amen.